You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. Repentance and humility? Didn't God say that to Solomon? If my people were called by my name, would humble themselves, pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. They had the recipe for God to help them right there before them in God's words to Solomon. Do you want to know how to live your best life? How to be content and fulfilled, healed of the brokenness you carry? Well, today, Pastor Dave shares that the answer is simple and it's been around for ages. When you repent and come to the Lord in humility, you'll find the blessing and restoration you're looking for. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of 1 Kings chapter 14 as he continues his message, From Appointed to Apostate. But in 1 Kings 14, it describes Judah's apostasy that Judah did evil in the sight of the Lord, and they provoked God to jealousy with their sins. These sins provoked the Lord to jealousy because they were essentially sins of idolatry. They turned their back on God and started worshiping other gods. It's called spiritual adultery. That's what it's called. We have to call for what it is, you know. Sometimes we get overconfident when the Lord is working mightily in our lives. When we see the Lord doing a good thing, we can get overconfident and we begin to feel like we can handle things on our own. We think, well, this is pretty good. We're going pretty good. I got this. Take, take a break, Lord. I'm good here. I can handle this. That's a dangerous place. And we start to do it in our flesh and we begin to walk in the flesh and we begin to follow after other strange things and other things that come along, programs and, and other things. We start to trust in them more than we're trusting in the Lord. This is another dangerous place to be. And sometimes somebody comes along with a new twist of scripture. It sounds good. It, it tickles the ears. And you start to follow that person. And you put the Lord to the side. Oh, all this Bible study is great, but you need this. You need this. You know, in the New Testament, this happened to the churches of Galatia. This happened to the churches of Galatia. And look at Galatians 3, verses 1 to 3. And, and look what Paul says to them. He's been talking about the Judaizers that have come in and told them they have to have the law of Moses. They have to be circumcised. And, and, they're, and they're trying to say that, that Jesus isn't enough. And listen to what he says in these three short verses here in, in chapter 3. Oh, foolish Galatians. Who has bewitched you? Who came in and bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified? This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the spirit by the works of the law or the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish having begun in the spirit? Are you now being made perfect in the flesh? Oh, there's some cruel words to the churches in Galatia. 
horrible words that Paul was accusing them of. He takes them all the way back to the beginning of their salvation when they first believed in Jesus Christ. And through their faith in Jesus Christ, they were accounted as righteous before God. Before they had done anything at all. And God accounted them as righteousness. Now they're saying, somebody comes along and says, you know, if you really want to be righteous, you got to do this. We've heard that before. You know, if you really want to be righteous, you need to spend three hours a day in Bible study. You need to be on your knees praying six hours a day. You need to do this. You need to do that. If you really, really want to be righteous. And they started establishing all these rules of righteousness. We're prone to do. Why do we establish these rules? Because they appeal to our flesh. They appeal to our flesh. We establish these rules because they appeal to our flesh. We're prone to do that. We're prone to add that to somebody. We're prone to take a yoke and lay it on to somebody. But Paul said clearly in Galatians 2, 16, by the works of the law, no flesh can be justified in the eyes of God. You know, there's a great example of that. There's a great example of that. And I'm, I'm digressing a little bit, but there's a great example of that in the Bible, obviously. A great example of that. When Abraham went into Hagar and they had Ishmael and he went against God's will. He went against his, he used the flesh. And Ishmael is an is a, is a object of the flesh. And Hagar is the object of the bondwoman. She's not free. But you see this. And then when God comes and tells him that he's going to have a son, what were his words? Oh, Lord, that Ishmael may walk before you. And God said, no. Why? Because Ishmael was of the flesh. He wasn't the seed of promise. That would be Isaac. That would be Isaac. So that's a perfect example. God never recognizes anything done in the flesh. He doesn't recognize it. It's all wood, hay, and stubble. It's going to burn up. He doesn't recognize it. So that's what's happening here. Rehoboam doing all this stuff in the flesh, and God's saying, no, 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 no. We have a tendency to turn towards works. Because we think there's something I got to do. I have to do something. Yeah, you do. Believe. No, 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 no. So I got to do something. No, you got to believe. You have to have faith. And faith can be extremely difficult at times, folks. It can be extremely difficult. It can be very, very hard work. So back in our study, Rehoboam now, he's in a world of hurt because of what he has done. And unfortunately, God has to chastise him. God has to discipline him. So in chapter 11 now, coming to chapter 12, look at verses 2 and 4. And it happened in the fifth year of King Rehoboam that Shishak, king of Egypt, came up against Jerusalem because they had transgressed against the Lord. So all of a sudden now, Egypt, which is a symbol of the old life. Egypt is a symbol of bondage. It's a symbol of slavery. They come against the Lord. And there's all kinds of reasons why the Egyptians should attack here. But you have to understand, the chronicler wants you to know it was because of Rehoboam's disobedience as to why they attacked. The Lord allowed it to happen. These invaders, the first thing they do is they take the fortified cities. Look at verse, uh, let's go three uh, through five. They had come up against Egypt with the Lord with 1,200 chariots, 60,000 horsemen, and people without number who came with him out of Egypt. And Libam 
and the Sukkim and the Ethiopians. And they took the fortified cities of Judah and came to Jerusalem. So they did this. They, they immediately come up and they take these fortified cities. The blockade, remember? The blockade that they had out there? Well, that didn't do anything because they came in and they wiped them out. They took them. They took them. And now they're at Jerusalem's door. They're at Jerusalem's door. Look at verse 5. Then Shemaiah, the prophet, came to Rehoboam and the leaders of Judah who were gathered together in Jerusalem because of Shishak. And he said to them, uh, Shemaiah said, Thus says the Lord, you have forsaken me, and therefore I have left you in the hand of Shishak. Rehoboam was told by the prophet that something's wrong. You did something wrong. You forsook the Lord. You forsook the Lord. Now you have to pay the piper. It's interesting that Shemaniah was the same prophet who discouraged Rehoboam from going to war against his brothers a couple chapters back in chapter, in chapter 11. And now he had the opportunity to speak this. The Lord laid it right on line to Rehoboam. You have forsaken me. And therefore, here's your punishment. You forsake me, here he is. You get this guy. This was correction. Now, we have to remember that the Lord judges righteously. The Lord is a righteous judge and a just judge. So the punishment fit the crime. This is in the Lord's eyes. The punishment fit the crime. If Judah insisted on forsaking God, they would find themselves forsaken in the day of their great need. The danger of telling God to leave me alone is that he may answer that prayer sometime. <laughs> if you continue to want to do things without God, one of these days he's going to go, have at it <laughs> and stand back. Those who practice sin continually, and we're going to talk about this in 1 John, those who continually practice sin there is no other sacrifice than the one that has been given Jesus Christ on the cross. That's the only sacrifice that is there. The only sacrifice that they can use, that they come to. What happens is a good thing. Look at what happens in verse 6. The kingdom comes to repentance. So the leaders of Israel and the king humbled themselves and they said, the Lord is righteous. This is great. There's a national movement of repentance, and it was initiated by whom? The leaders, which is where it goes. And this is why we pray for our leaders constantly, that they would lead a national time of repentance, that they would lead us back to the Lord. They would allow us to worship freely and, and call upon our God. This is a national repentance. Great moves of the Spirit. Great moves of the Spirit throughout the history of the church have always been when you have a leader who is zealous about repentance and humility. Repentance and humility. I mean, wait a minute. Repentance and humility? Didn't God say that to Solomon? If my people who are called by my name would humble themselves, pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin, and heal their land. They had the recipe for God to help them right there before them in God's words to Solomon. They needed to recognize that the Lord was righteous. This was the beginning of their confession. 
This was the beginning of their confession of sin, to recognize that the Lord is righteous and that we are not. Your righteousness is filthy rags. Your righteousness is filthy rags. To say this meant that they understood that they deserve the punishment that awaited them. They were understanding, okay, Lord, you're right. We sin, and this is what we deserve. What a great place to be. When we recognize our sin, we realize, hey, Lord, I deserve to be dead. I deserve death. The wages of sin are of death. I deserve to die. But your mercy and your grace is greater than all that. And I've been given freedom through Jesus Christ. I've been given freedom. But they weren't completely free. So listen to what happens in 7 and 8. Now, when the Lord saw that they had humbled themselves, the word of the Lord came to Shemaiah saying, they have humbled themselves, therefore I will not destroy them, but I will grant them some deliverance. My wrath shall not be poured out on Jerusalem by the hand of Shishak. Nevertheless, they will be his servants that they may distinguish my service from the service of the kingdoms of the nations. Wow. They weren't completely free. What does this tell me? There are consequences for our sin. Sin carries consequences. And although they were free, and although Shishak and his gang weren't going to wipe them out, there were consequences. They were going to have to serve this guy. They're going to have to serve this person. I won't destroy them. I'm going to grant them some deliverance. This is in a response. Now, God said, if my people will humble themselves and pray. So they were humbling themselves. They were praying, and God heard them, and he comes down there. He won't allow them to be destroyed completely, but he would allow them to have difficulties. They would pay for their sin. They will be his servants, that they may distinguish my service from the service of the kingdom of the nation. When Judah forsook the law of the Lord... It's as if they offer themselves now to serve another master. And they did. Sin is a horrible taskmaster. And when you forsake the Lord and offer yourself up to Satan and sin, he is a horrible, horrible taskmaster. He's horrible. They're going to be preserved, but they're going to serve their enemies. They need to know the difference between serving me and serving man is exactly what he's saying here. They need to know the difference. Oh, that we would find that out real fast. Oh, that we would find that out before we'd have to go through something like this, where the Lord would have to teach us. Oh, my gosh, would we find out that? In the three years, when they were going after the Lord, they were basically pious. They were basically holy. They were basically righteous. They were following after God and doing everything. But they forsook God. And they found the service of the Lord to be perfect in freedom. There's freedom in serving the Lord. There's joy in serving the Lord. When you have to serve the man, there's not much joy in that. When you got to serve the man, there's not much joy in that. A sinful life is both expensive and it's extremely painful, someone said. God is gracious. He does show us mercy and he does show us grace. But as I said, sin carries a price. Sin carries a price. And dare I say, that price may be a long time, too. That price may hang around a long time. 
Let's look at 9 through 12. So Shishak, king of Egypt, came up against Jerusalem and took away the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house, all that gold and all that beautiful stuff. He took it away. He carried it away. This was one of their problems. He took everything. He also carried away the gold shields which Solomon made. Then King Rehoboam made bronze shields in their place and committed them to the hands of the captains of the guard who guarded the doorway of the king's house. And whenever the king entered the house of the Lord, the guard would go and bring them out and they would take them back into the guard room. When he humbled himself, the wrath of the Lord turned from him so as not to destroy him completely. And the things also went well in Judah. There is the key. When he humbled himself, things went well. My goodness. They took away all that gold. Remember those 500 shields, 200 large, 300 small, made of pure gold? They carried them away. Remember all the beautiful things from the cedars of Lebanon and all the beautiful lumber from the house? They took them away. They were all gone. Gold was too heavy and too, they, they couldn't use that. But this is an example of how the image of oversubstance in the days of Solomon worsened in the days of Rehoboam. Instead, Rehoboam tries to replace them with bronze shields. It's interesting. There's some symbolism here. What's bronze represent in Scripture? Judgment. Judgment. Yeah. Bronze represents judgment. How God deals with sin. They replace them with bronze shields. It's a perfect picture of how the nation declined how the nation came down. He committed them to the hands of the captains of the guard and Solomon and the gold shields on display, all those beautiful things. The replacement shields were protected constantly. They really never came out except for a stately time. But when Rehoboam humbled himself, the wrath of the Lord turned and he wasn't destroyed completely. Many in sin humble themselves before God, hoping that he will not have to humble them any further. Nevertheless, God knows how much humbling we need. <laughs> God knows how much it's going to take to get us on our knees and seeking him again. Things went well with Judah. That's what it says. Things were going well with Judah once they humbled themselves and once they did this. As we finish out the chapter, thus King Rehoboam strengthened himself in Jerusalem and reigned now and reigned. Now Rehoboam was 41 years old when he became king he reigned 17 years in Jerusalem in the city of the Lord, had chosen out of all the tribes of Israel to put his name there. His mother's name was Anema and Amoritus. And he did evil because he did not prepare his heart and seek the Lord. The acts of Rehoboam, first and last, are they not written in the book of Shemaiah, the prophet, and of Edo, the seer, concerning genealogies? And there were wars between Rehoboam and Jeroboam all their days. So Jeroboam rested with his fathers and was buried in the city of David. Then Abijah, his son, reigned in his place. Let me draw you back to verse 14, how Rehoboam finished. This is how Rehoboam finished. It's written in the word of God. And these are some of the last words we hear about Rehoboam. He did evil in the sight of the Lord because he did not prepare his heart to seek the Lord. Folks, I don't want to be remembered that way. I don't want to be remembered like that. It's interesting that the chronicler 
gives more attention to the life of Rehoboam than the writer of 1 Kings did. Maybe it's because Rehoboam was somewhat of a pattern and an encouragement to those who are returning from exile, knowing that if we humble ourselves before our Lord and if we seek him with our whole heart, he'll reward us with him. And maybe that's what the chronicler was trying to tell the people coming back from exile. You have to humble yourself before the Lord. You have to look to him for all your needs. Obedience to the prophetic word. Strengthening the kingdom through building the work. The activities of the priests and the Levites and all the expanding of the royal family and humble repentance. What brought to mind is Psalm 51 verse 17, a broken and contrite heart I will not despise. When we sin, are you brokenhearted over your sin? That's what's being said here. Are you brokenhearted over your sin? Is there a feeling of remorse deep inside that leads you to true and godly repentance? And as I said, there's only one sacrifice, and that sacrifice was made over 2,000 years ago on a cross. Jesus Christ dying for our sins. He's the only sacrifice Jesus will not get back up on that cross. That sacrifice is golden. You must come to him. You must accept that sacrifice. And if you sin, we have an advocate with the Father, the same Jesus Christ, the same Jesus Christ who is intercessing for you. Seek the Lord. Prepare your heart to seek the Lord. Seek him with all your heart. This is the lesson that I'm getting from here. Acknowledge him in all your ways. And he will direct your paths. Give glory to him. And he wants to guide you and lead you by his Holy Spirit. He wants you to have that relationship with him. He wants to shower you with his love, his affection, his joy, his peace, his comfort. All those good things that we love about the Lord. But if you do not, do I say it? You have to pay the piper. Sin carries severe consequences. And they can last a lifetime. We see that in David. We see that in some of the other kings that we studied. We see that in the New Testament. There's a hefty price for sin. Yes, Jesus paid for it. But we need to humbly come to him. And we need to have a contrite heart. It means we have to confess with a heart heart broken for him. We pray the prayer, Lord, break my hearts for what breaks yours. I want my heart to be contrite before you. I want my heart to be open before you. David said it clearly. Lord, search me. Try me. Is there anything in me that's wicked? If there is, point it out to me so I can get rid of it. Help me to get rid of these things, Lord. That's a true heart. That's a heart that wants to seek the Lord. Be honest with him. He knows your heart anyhow. You're not hiding it from him. You can't hide it from him. So Rehoboam, like the rest of the kings, died He's buried with honor in the city of David with his fathers. And now the one that he chose, Abijah, will take his place. Abijah will take his place. And not a lot of good that can be said about Abijah. It's almost like we won't learn our lesson. It's almost like we see these examples before us, but yet we won't learn our lesson. It's like we have to learn our lesson ourselves instead of going that way. You are Second Chronicles is the ongoing account of the kings of Israel and then Judah. 
Here on A Sure Hope, Pastor Dave has been teaching through this book, giving you a good awareness of the things that happened during this time. He started with King Solomon's reign, and you quickly see how when things are managed by mere men, it starts to devolve into selfish wants and desires. This is the way of the world, isn't it? But in contrast to that, you get a glimpse into a few kings who really sought after the Lord and tried to honor Him with their kingly reign. Being human, there's always that tension between what you want and how it gives you that esteem versus doing what honors God and gives Him glory. It can be easy to look at some of the examples of these kings and quickly start to look down on them. But if you were faced with that same culture and situations, would you do any differently? To know that a few of these men stood up against the crowd is striking. They decided to be countercultural and chose to honor God above all. Wouldn't it be great for God to say the same about you? We're so glad you decided to join us today. This series in the book of 2 Chronicles is one that you'll want to keep tuning into. One teaching connects to the next and helps give you the context of the book as a whole. If you'd like to hear today's message again or you missed one and want to go back to it, head over to AsureHopeRadio.com. We're out of time for today, but we're excited for you to join us again. Never forget that because of God, you have a sure hope.